This episode of Roderick on the Line is sponsored by Threes. Threes is a tiny puzzle that grows on you. You can play it forever, and it'll always be in your pocket. Learn more about Threes by searching your app store for Threes or by visiting threesgame.com. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Jim Dandy. John. <clears throat> ah. <laughs> That's mm. sweet. This is going to be the upbeat episode. Savior <laughs> of the universe. Savior one of us. Um, I am wearing my wool pants today. Nice. And uh, it is nice, except, you know, that first day that you put on the wool pants, you really have to get used to this, to feeling scratchy. Yeah. Down there. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's not a blend. No, these are old and they're just, wool is all get out. They just took a sheep basically and and gave it a took zipper the, <laughs> took the insides out and yeah right make condoms and pants <laughs> damn it's uh yeah it feels good it feels good to for winter to be here and um for it to be like time to get down to the nitty gritty i wore some different pants today too just to mix it up a little bit hmm. yeah. uh different different uh pair of levi's you mean or well, yeah, different pair of Levi's 501s. This <laughs> is the um, the second rattiest pair that I own, and I wear them oh. probably once a quarter because if I see somebody from my child's school on the street, it leaves an impression. Oh, I see. I now, the rattiest see. ones, my, uh, my ding-dong falls out, so I can't wear those. Right. But these are – you. I know you know the wear patterns. Every man has different <laughs> wear patterns on his Levi's 501s that are weirdly consistent. Have you noticed this? Yeah, but you have very dis- very distinctive wear patterns on your pants. Well, I know the one you're thinking of. Go ahead. Because Fo- you carry – Because of the phone. <laughs> well, the phone, but also you carry uh, – or you, at least you, you used to carry – your space pen in your front oh, pocket. You remember that? And the the space pen leaves a you know over time, uh, you have a you have like a a, a war a worn a worn space pen shadow in your in your jean front. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's mostly from yes, you are one hundred percent correct. My wear patterns are that's a classic. I I now carry a different kind of pen when I carry a pen, so it doesn't leave the same uh, little. But you're right, exactly the shape of the space pen in my right pocket and then of course that starts out just leaving a shape then it leaves a white shadow then of course you get the wear so right then it's like it starts to fray right you get you you, okay here's if there's one thing to take away from this episode today it mm -hmm. is this you cannot lie to your pants your pants know the truth about you boy that is the truth (laughs) so many ways today now i have a very very clear outline of an iphone 5s oh i see pocket Right. Yep, yep. Yep. But you know, but it's you know, uh, we won't even get into the more unsavory ways that your mm. genes tell a story. But they did tell you a ever, story. Did you ever chew tobacco? Back in the day, sure. Yeah. And did you ever have a can ring? Oh, you in mean the like? Uh, oh, oh, gosh, yes. I mean, I, I think that you could actually probably go to county seat and buy a uh, kind of a, uh, a a fake skull can that you could wash in your, in your laundry just to get the <laughs> ring for ha- to have the cred for, for the school i remember at uh, there I, you know I'm, I'm not proud of it but it, but at a certain point i was very opposed to chewing tobacco when i was in my young teens because a lot of my friends chewed in school you're talking you're talking about snuff i'm talking about yeah copenhagen mm-hmm. snuff um, as opposed to the red man, like big. They weren't chewing red man, no, yeah. no. And and I mean, and it was there was a pretty at the time pretty clear divide between like guys that chewed skull, who were like pussies, 
Yeah, candy asses. Yeah. And guys that chewed cope who were like normals uh, or <laughs> in self regard. Yeah. You know, who were toughs. And this was before <laughs> the advent of all the other kinds of, of snuff. There was no Kodiak at the time. Now they got, you can get something called a snoo. Yeah. I seen that? that. I think no, it's I Swedish. I well, I guess there, it was called, some people actually called it snoo. In that was Alaska, probably yeah. That was probably then. a grassroots thing. I'm not trying to derail you. I taught, this in Florida. This was a thing. It was a very very real thing. Well, and it was very real in in Alaska too. And I, I so I was opposed to chewing. And I would and I was I was kind of a like a you know a, if you can believe this, I would hector my friends and lecture them about what they were doing wrong. Oh, you were just crossing over from At being a, a kid, age. a kid yeah. who wanted to make women be chased. <laughs> and you're a grown man who had no idea what he was doing. And in between, you, were, you had wisdom. That's right. And so I was like, you guys, chewing tobacco is, is terrible. I, you know, I, I, I disapprove of you sitting in the back of class and spitting chew into a Coke can. And I had enough, I had enough um, leverage with them. Not leverage, but just like, you know, they, they, would, they would try and conceal their chewing from me. But you can't conceal that yeah. from your friend. But I... I really envied the chew can ring in the back pockets of their jeans. It just had such a nice, it just said so much. You know what I mean? It said, it said a lot about a guy. It had a uh, signification. And so I started carrying a chew can <laughs> as a little wallet, as a little like dime bag. <laughs> I would put, you had a life hack. Yeah, I would put shit in a, an old chew can that my friend Kevin gave me. You know, I washed it out, and then I would, you know, I'd fold up m- my money and and uh, notes or whatever. And I mean, you couldn't you couldn't use it as a wallet because you couldn't put an ID in it. But I, you know, I, I I did for a while. I carried it around as a little pouch, and then I just started chewing tobacco, and and the rest was history. Mm. I got. Um... <clears throat> You know, we talked before about the uh, the kind of wallet that I carry because people care. Mm-hmm. It's one of those little taxi taxi driver wallets, which is yep. not a super thin wallet, but it's nope. a, it really works for me. It folds in half. It's like a billfold, and it's got a little uh, clasp where you can put coins or cards inside. Very very clear outline, including down to where you can see the snap where the yeah. snap is. I, I carry a taxi wallet too that I originally that, I that carried. My, that, that, is this the one your uh, I gave to your mom and your mom gave to you? <laughs> Yeah, so you gave it to mom. She gave it to me. I wore it. I don't know why out. I did that. <laughs> I don't know either. But she was like, I don't know why Merlin gave me a man's wallet, but would you like it? And I was like, Yeah, sure. And I wore it until it was, until, uh, it, until the, it, it came apart. And then I was at the thrift store and I found a completely unused one. Wow. An identical one to the one I had, uh, I was, I was, you know, I was fixing it with tape by that point. And I found one. I was just like, oh. and I actually had to fight a Chinese lady for it. Oh, man. She was like, she kind of was standing there at the same time, and I picked it up, and I was like, check it out. And she was like, I was just about to pick that up. And I was like, really? You were about to pick it up? Yeah, if Frog had wings, he wouldn't bump his ass a hopping. <laughs> yeah, that's a, I don't know about that, about to pick it up. And we uh-huh. sat and talked about it for a while. I don't think and there's any precedent like, legally for that, John. <laughs> she was like, I want you to have it. And I was like, are you sure? <laughs> Um, here's what I want to get to. And, uh-huh. and so there's all the stuff that goes on in the, uh, in the belt area that we're not going to get into. But uh, this is the thing that's so strange to me is the wear patterns. And you see this on shoes. 
I think. You see this in pants. I guess if you wear it long enough, you see this in a jacket. But two very distinct uh, asymmetrical wear patterns. Hmm. So, I mean, I guess maybe it's kind of obvious you'd have this with shoes because we all like whatever pronate or we've got some kind of imbalance. I'm sure a chiropractor could give you some kind of massage for this. But uh, you notice your, your, your two shoes. You go grab, go grab four or five pairs of your shoes you've had for, that you only have had for a few years. Flip them over and it's remarkable, the wear patterns on the bottom. Now, for me, that's the knees on the jeans that I cannot, I don't know why. I thought about it, maybe I figured it out. But it's so strange to me that jeans that I've had for three, four, five more years, uh, one knee always starts to wear before the other, and mm. the other knee uh, then consequently blows out before the other and gets bigger hole, a bigger right. hole before the other. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. You'll I notice do. this on cuffs. You'll notice this on elbows. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. And Sherlock Holmes could probably say, oh, well, obviously you're a scrivener. Or yeah, something. right, right. Or, or maybe you're, you're a, genuflecting. I don't, I don't genuflect that I'm aware of. You're a mincer. You mince around. You and mean? It, well, not, maybe not you, but a certain certain type of person minces around. You know, I think I do. I think I mince. I think I do it in a very masculine way. Yeah, but, it's a ma- masculine mincing, but it still wears your jeans differently. Yeah. I, uh, I sometimes will, as I'm walking around, I was in, I was in a mall the other day, which is not, Ugh. that's not where I want to be. But as I, I had to go from one end of the mall to the other, it's a, a long trip across the mall. And um, so as I was walking, I was consciously trying to change my gait. I was, I was. Oh, you're doing the spy thing. Well, I was point. You know, I I think I I walk a little splayed, and I was. I I don't know if, if you ever try this, but without looking at your feet particularly if you walk splayed, without looking at your feet, you point your toes in and imagine that you are walking sort of pigeon-toed, and then you mm-hmm. look down at your feet, and, you're, and you, they're not even pointing straight, right? I mean, it's so oh. unfamiliar right. to walk with your feet pointing straight. Mm-hmm. And it changes everything... The, uh, everything up and down, like you, your hips feel different, your whole body feels different. And when I was walking across Europe, I, I would do that for days at a time. Just be very conscious of like, I am just pointing my toes in the direction that I'm traveling. And and I still do it sometimes as a way of, you know, a similar type of thing. You look at the bottoms of your shoes and you're like, wow, I'm, I'm wearing these shoes in such a, a weird fashion. Yeah, what could, I, start... what could I be doing? It feels like I'm taking a step and another step, and everything's equal and normal. I'm not, you know, averaging out over so many years, you wouldn't say I'm taking this many more right turns than left turns. Right. It seems really strange. And yet, you know, there you are, because we are all just flopping around, I guess. No, we're asymmetrical. We, I don't want to beat apart. it to death. It's the lack of symmetry. It's, it's, <coughs> um, can I, speaking of malls, I just sent you something in the, uh, in the robot. Can you see that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let me see. Let me see. Let me I'm, curious your, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this as somebody who follows uh, beep, 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 beep. the trends in technology and apps and mm, uh, where things are going. App trends. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. I see. Uh, so app trends here, not let, oh wait. There's a, should be a blue thing in the dingus. Yeah. Mm, the dingus. Oh, okay. And it's a link to Kung Fu Grippy. Yep. So my daughter and I went to see a movie the other day and went to the big mall downtown. Mm. And, you know, it's a, it's actually, it's a kind of a fancy, it's the fancy mall downtown. Mm. Like it's dynamic it's new destination. So, so fancy. Hang on. Hang on. 
Save it. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and read mm-hmm. it, but mm-hmm. save it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you, it's so fancy that you can get off the subway at Powell Street and actually walk into like oh, the food court. Oh, you don't even have to go outside. Yeah, Westfield Center. And, uh, and so we go, that's one of my favorite places to see movies. They got good seats. They got great food. It's a great food court. And it's a great daddy-daughter day place to go. And one of our stops has always been this thing that, of course, used to be a Barnes & Noble. Then after <laughs> it wasn't a Barnes & Noble, like all places, it became a remainder bookstore. Right. That's that's the destiny. That's the destiny. Every Barnes and Noble will, ironically enough, become a remainder bookstore. Then they started adding toys to it. So it was this great place where you can go and get like two dollar books, puzzles, Doctor Who figures. It was really a fun place to go. Well, long story short, we show not anymore. Nope. Guess what? Something new is moving in. It used to be a Barnes and Noble. Then it was a no name remainder book and toy store. Now, John, something new, and there's a new thought technology at Westfield Center. Uh, I took a photo of this. Uh, it's one of those things that you see in front of the window where something mm-hmm. is going to be built. Is this something you'd be interested in, in talking about? Yeah, so, you know, where, where you, block off the, you block off the store as it's, as it's being developed, but instead of just saying, like, coming soon. Yeah, coming soon, uh, casual corner. Right. It's, now it's, a, it's sort of a, a branding opportunity, another... Yeah, a, a, a newer branding opportunity. So this goes across a whole bunch of storefront mm-hmm. in front of you. You know how big a Barnes and Noble is, right? Yeah. And so I guess and, and they've, they've chosen a kind of gun gunmetal gray, battleship gray, which yes. is very, which is, indicates like sleekness and also forward forwardness. That was the color of my Audi five thousand S. Oh God, I'm gray. so envious. Mm, yeah, and all, here's what it says. I'd like if you don't mind. I, I'd like your reading of the paragraph. But what it says is bespoke, and bespoke. in and in a very fancy looking sans serif font, it says bespoke with for some reason an underline under the B and bespoke, and then in italics, there's a paragraph describing what bespoke is or will be. Would you mind sharing that with our listeners? Well, I I, I was wondering about why they underline just one letter of bespoke, and See, and, and I feel like without the underline. It's possible that you might look at that and say bespoke. Oh, bespoke. Yeah, right. Bespoke oh, or bespoke. I mean, bespoke yeah. would have a little accente grave or whatever goo. over the e. Uh, sorry, accente gu over the e. But but without with no with no underlining or accent, you you could look at it and say bespoke. Right. That's yeah. what if you were an oki from Muskogee, you would say bespoke. Mm, naturally, okie dokie. And, and um, but with the with the underline under the B, it makes you say B B. It, you, right? You look at it, you go B B. Yeah. And then what are you going to do? And ordinarily, if it were if it were uh, if you're watching war games or you're watching some kind of '80s '90s computer thriller, you would think that that's a prompt. Hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. you would right. use the blinking oh. underline to indicate a prompt. Oh, but why sure. would you have a prompt under the first letter unless you were about to edit it? Uh, right, you were about to delete it, right? Yeah, exactly. Change it to Peacepokey. Yeah. Uh, but then underneath, now what, what font is it? The underneath written, it's sort of an italic uh, that looks kind of like... It's like a fancy Georgia. Yeah, okay. And it says, <clears throat> Nestled within the retail epicenter of San Francisco sits a dynamic new destination, colon, a community where digital innovators collide with the world's greatest brands. Hyphen. M dash. M dash. For work and for play. Boom, boom, boom. And then under that, there's a graphic. Mm-hmm. And it's a sort of a flow chart, right? Or how would you describe that? 
there's three three <laughs> icons inside of circles on a horizontal uh, axis, uh, and the three icon the three circles are connected for no apparent reason by a line. Right. So co-working, and that's a and what looks like a piece a PC with a mouse. No, I think that that's an I think that that uh, that's a Mac classic, an Apple Mac classic. Oh, Wouldn't maybe you, a color or classic, maybe, or maybe a Lisa. It could be. I think it's a Mac Lisa. <laughs> John, in addition to co-working, are there any other kinds of things they do at Bespoke? So co-working, and then then a line over to uh, just a microphone, an unplugged microphone, but, but with it, with a but with, with, a, a, with a cord. So, so it's a so it's a mic that it's like one of those mics that you get from Radio Shack that comes with a hardwired cord. Yeah, like a Bob Pollard mic. Yeah, and it's and it says events, 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 and then another line over to some kind of a uh, game controller uh, that plays. PlayStation? Yeah, see, I don't even play games, and I can just tell from looking at that. It's a it's a game with some kind, it's a cord that connects to something that I don't think you would have had on most gaming systems in even the last three to five years. It looks like an look, looks like some kind of uh Epson printer uh jack. Oh yeah, sure. And and what do they what does that uh, indicate, John? Tech demos. Tech demos. So you got tech co-working, demos. events, and tech demos. Co-working events and tech demos at Bespoke, at Bespoke. and the, the URL is uh, at Bespoke underscore SF. Well, that was a freebie for them. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Shit. Yeah. We should we should retroactively charge. No, I want people to go and look at this and scoff at it. Yeah. I want I want them to I want them to say like, wow, we're getting a lot of traffic today. Yes. Hey, this we're our numbers are really going up, and it's just people around the world scoffing at them. Well, don't think I didn't go. Um, as soon as we got home. <laughs> I went and checked out the toots from Bespoke SF, uh-huh. um, and I think it's it's pretty it's pretty inscrutable. A lot of tech demos. I don't know. See, we're shooting fish in a barrel, but you know, it's it's kind of hilarious that it used to be at Barnes and Noble. And I don't know about you, like you know, but back in the let's say by the mid nineties, how, how about this? When we got a Barnes and Noble at the Tallahassee Mall mm. in circa nineteen ninety two or three, whatever it was, that Barnes and Noble was expanding really quickly. That was the first Starbucks I ever went to, was a Starbucks inside of a Barnes & Noble. I mean, that's how classy Barnes & Noble was. Barnes & Noble, alongside, I guess, uh, Borders, was a juggernaut. You know, really? Walton Books has been on the it way has. down for a while, but this was probably like 50,000 square feet of, of store, Barnes & Noble. Oh, Barnes sure, & Noble used to be sure. huge. You Don't you this? remember they they did they they were driving out all the uh, all the, the the little children's bookstores on the Upper West Side? I think sometimes um, they took over something like maybe if it was like an old grocery store like that big, uh, oh, like right. a, like a pantry pride type situation. When the mall got <laughs> refurbished, you get a Barnes mm-hmm. and Noble. You can go in there. You can buy you can buy all kinds of uh, you can buy playing cards. You can get coffee. You can get a Danish. They have a giant periodical section. Uh, Barnes and Noble uh, down at our Tan Fran Mall, two stories. Including a giant toy section, right? And uh, children's books and records they were selling. They were and selling now records. There for a is long time. not a single big box bookstore in downtown San Francisco. Uh, the thing is, I would used to go into those places, and I would I I I didn't know what I didn't know. The, uh, they weren't for me, right? They were not f- they were not built for me. I would walk around, and I would end up. I would go upstairs. I would go downstairs. I would walk around. I'd walk around, and I'd eventually, I would buy a paperback copy of Plato's Republic just to give myself something to do. Mm-hmm. And then I would, um, you know, go give that to a homeless guy because I feel that that is the that that play, it, it starts the path to recovery starts with Plato. 
Uh, I'll give you then, these mashed potatoes, <laughs> but first I want to talk about a cave. Are you listening? And, and do I have your attention? There's then shadows. I would, go, I would go away and I wouldn't go back. Or you know, every or, or every once in a while I would buy one of those artists' models, the little wood <laughs> articulated men that sit on yeah. the tables uh, uh, yeah, to sit for on cre- the, for creative people who are being creative. <laughs> Yeah, sit on the end tables in, in the homes of interesting people. I would buy one of those and then give it as a gift. Um, that's that's what somebody. it is. I mean, even see, I've always loved just spending two hours in a store like that. But what I will say, no matter who you are, it's great for Christmas gifts. It's a nice if you really, place for gifts. If you don't care that much about who you're buying it for, especially, you can find something for anybody there. But listen, the other day, I, uh, I was on um, a, a website called Instagram. A website called Okay. Um, and um, I don't know if you are familiar with Je- uh, Jessica Cowson. Um, mm, maybe. Who works for Squarespace, our uh, uh, once and future sponsor. Mm-hmm. And uh, she sent me an, a message on Squarespace. Instagram? Or, I'm sorry, on Instagram, the Instagram website, saying there's a guy who is taking tintype photographs in your town today he's a itinerant tintyper traveling the world with his giant camera doing real tintype photos and uh and he's looking for people um who talent. Look old he's looking for time. talent he's looking for talent people that look old timey and so i went I, I so i contacted this guy i was like i want a tintype photograph and he was like come on down to seattle's pioneer square and I got down there. I expected him to be wearing a um, a bowler hat and a, and a mustache, but he was not. He was wearing neither. And he was taking tintype photographs with this camera that he'd kind of built himself. And um, he was using he he was using an alcove in a space that, as I looked around, turned out to be one of these co-working spaces. Right. Yeah. Have you ever been to one of these? Oh, I got a lot to say about co-working. Yeah. It's a, it's a co-working space. It's like a floor of a building, and people are there doing stuff on laptops. Yeah. And so, and there's a woman there who represents the co-working place, and she started, and I was like, tell me about your co-working space, and she started giving me the spiel. And this co-working space had some, there was some angle, right, where it was like, um, where they were certainly telling me, but I think also telling themselves that it was um, uh, some aspect of their co-working space was in the public good. Uh, there was a public interest angle where they were nonprofits or... They oh, were, I see. They were, they were trying, to, uh, trying to make the world a better place, although... They're doing their part. Yeah, right. But I, I toured the space, and it was full of people. I mean, every seat was taken, and they were all people on their laptops, and I looked at their laptops, and they all appeared to be using uh, Windows 95, and they were all, I don't didn't see, I didn't see any uh, public interest work. It all just seemed like people trying to polish their resumes, or I'm not sure what kind of work was going on in there, but I was astonished that in the middle of the afternoon, that people would choose to pay to be in this environment, and um, I came out of that. I came out of that experience both with a tintype photograph of myself and also a new curiosity about this co-working movement. That was my first exposure to it. Oh, really? Well, I, well, I don't have. I don't have. Um, 
I mean, I don't work. It's, or it's a, interact it's a, with people who work. Yeah, it's well, it's just in the in the kind of I guess I want to say in the tech world, it's it's something that's really taken off over the years. Um, where you know, for for obvious economic reasons, I mean, let's look at what 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 is it really? It's like having an office combined with having roommates. Like you don't really need to go lease your own floor of an office. You don't want to have to go through a lease and all that kind of stuff. All you really need is a desk somewhere. <clears throat> There's a bunch yeah, of but, places. But, but, but wouldn't you just go to a cafe, I guess, is my question. I think that's a very good question. And that's that's why to jump to the uh, uh, cut to the chase. Mm-hmm. To me, that's not how I would ever work. I would mm-hmm. not get any work done in a place like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, to me, having an office is good and bad because I have a place to put all my shit like that. I like having all my shit. That's good. But even if you just bring a laptop, I cannot imagine a more purpose built environment for distraction and unnecessary noise and movement just in my head like to me the point of having a place to work and this is again just goes to show how old i am is i've had opportunities to co-work uh at places in town where i've gotten you know offers from really nice places where i was like hey can i rent a desk here twitter at one point i almost had a place at twitter because i was like oh this is great i'll go to south park every day this is before i got an office so like five years ago six years ago i went um i think i saw like jason goldman there i was like he's like hey yeah we can set you up here and i was like this is really nice but boy, is it ever loud. <laughs> you know, like 1100 bucks a month or something. You like get a, no, it wasn't that much. No, it wasn't that much. But it was, it was, you know, they were going to cut me a break or something. But anyway, it would be really cool to work at, uh, you know, alongside all these uh, cool people. But that to me, people are throwing a ball. There's music going on. To, to, a, to a place, they're all like, you seem uniquely inappropriate for a large number of people to be doing something quiet in. Have you noticed that? Well, they, they, I feel- they're echoey a lot of the time. I feel like um, I feel like if I were in an environment like that, I would just it would be a personal challenge for me to try and distract everyone else as much as I could. Like I would just go from desk to desk and be like, "Hey, what are you working on? So, how long you been? Uh, how long you been in Seattle?" And I would I just couldn't. I wouldn't be there to work. I would be there to socialize and to meet these people and and find interesting things about them and and uh it just it if you if you're going to work i would think you would want to be in a in seclusion but then that's my method that's the funny part is it's it's true both ways i would be equal on not maybe not equal parts but depending on the day i would on the one hand be probably pretty annoyed with how much movement activity and noise there was but because that's what it is it's a bunch of people in a room doing stuff while on the other hand i could just also see myself walking up and standing by somebody's desk and talking to him for two hours so <laughs> it would be the worst of both worlds i guess it works i guess it works for some people but i see, i i'm with you I, I can see needing to get out of the house wanting to get out of the house mm-hmm. but i'm not sure i understand how much more that offers than uh you know than uh than a cafe and i have friends who've tried to do podcasts inside a place like that Wow. Which is like, you know, trying to do it like in the CNN newsroom or something. Well, do you rem- So I was thinking about this the other day. When I was first starting out in music in Seattle, the biggest challenge that, uh, as I perceived it at the time, was to find a space. Like a practice, like a shed. That was the, that was the, the, biggest, the, the biggest obstacle. And I had a friend uh, named Reese Lamb who was a, a painter and Reese was really good at, uh, he knew, he knew all the people 
in the sort of uh, uh, in underground Seattle, and I don't mean the the where you go on the tour of underground Seattle, but like he knew all the um the people living in the in the holes, and Reese always had a place to paint because he. Every time you'd run into him, he'd be like, "Oh yeah, man, I'm painting in a in this garage down in the in you know down in the central district. I met a guy who who repairs old refrigerators, or I met a guy that you know makes rubber bands, and he's got this <laughs> space in the corner of his plan. And you'd go down there, and it would be an uninsulated um, corner of a steel frame building, and Reese would be in there painting. And time and time again, I would say." Hey, you know, Reese, like, can you think of any place in your network of spaces that would, you know, that I could convert into a band practice space? And he would get all suspicious and be like, well, man, I mean, bands are so loud. And, you know, and he was afraid that if he hooked me up with some space and I turned it into a band practice space, it was just going to attract attention to the whole underground economy. Mm Mm-hmm. Then somebody's gonna be like, "What's that making all that noise over there?" And then I mean, you're they, like just a couple clicks south of a, of a meth lab. Like yeah, you, sure. You, it's, exactly. not good, it's not good for the environment to attract attention. No, rock band, and then <laughs> yeah, and then the cops come around, and then they're like, "Well, we're just gonna start busting all these old buildings." And then the rubber band guys out of work, and the refrigerator guys <laughs> the out of band work. Man. It's all because of me. That rubber band man is such a good song. God, that's a great song. It's crazy good. But uh, but but then so then there was. You know, and there were always like shared band practice spaces, but but it was like you know you had to know somebody. They were always full to overflowing. I couldn't find a space, and then my friend Peter took a job as a custodian at a theater company that was occupying an old funeral home. Oh wow! And Peter was their custodian. In exchange for them letting him live in one of the outbuildings, which was uh, the garage where they kept the hearses. And it was an uh, uninsulated hearse garage. Well, let me understand this. So he's got a place to do his stuff and a place to live? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Can you imagine being in your early 20s and coming into something like that? Well, I can't imagine. It's it like in an was, '80s movie where you get to have an entire loft to yourself for fifty dollars a month. Oh my god! I was I was standing right next to Peter when it happened, and I was like, "Hey, this is incredible! You know, let me help you fix this place up." So, Peter was pretty handy, and we took the garage door off, and um, or we took it off. We took all the hardware off the garage door and built it so that it was just a wall. It still looked like a garage door, but it was a wall. It didn't open anymore. That wouldn't have been my choice, but that was Peter's idea. And then we cut a door in the side, and we found one of those old uh, sort of patchwork metal doors from an industrial, you know, it was kind of like leaning against the side of a building. Oh, yeah, like looks like a refrigerator, uh, like a yeah. refrigerated area door. Yeah, yeah, right. We found one of those and, 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 and hung it in the side of this building. And then we went and, f- and got a bunch of futons and drilled holes in the futons and put bolts and washers and then we could hang the futons over the windows and we found a bunch of insulation somewhere and and borrowed a ladder and got up and insulated this whole building and it was like this amazing space and i worked on it with peter for several months making it into like the ultimate 
bachelor pad practice space. And it was a huge garage. Found some couches, some carpets. He was living there. And he was a he was kind of a, a tidy guy. He would wake up in the morning and make his bed and put some throw pillows on it so it looked like a couch. I don't know what he thought he was. He he never entertained Just anybody. Dignity. Just dignity. But he had he had a personal dignity. That's right. He was German, and uh, his parent he had like eight brothers and sisters, and he just he made his bed in the morning. But so then he put a band. He had a band. I had a band, and we started practicing in this space. And right away, the relationship went started to sour. Oh no! And Peter was like, you know, you know, this is my house. This is my home. You guys are practicing in and leaving your chew chew spit cans lying around, and you're. <laughs> You know, and your your marijuana reefers, and and I was like, <clears throat> "What do you mean this is your house? Like this is the this is the fantasy we've always had. Like it's a it's a it's like a clubhouse." Yeah, why would you introduce ownership into something so cool? Yeah, and he's like, "It's not club. It's not your clubhouse. It's my clubhouse." And I was like, "You're getting this place for free for like not even being a janitor over at the theater company." Anyway, it got very contentious. And, and and reflecting back on it, I realized that I was I was taken over. I was taken over his his uh, his private little space, and um, so I went over to the theater company and I was like, "Listen, I'm not going to be your janitor, but you got you got a couple of outbuildings here. So you got a couple of additional outbuildings. Let me have one." And uh, and they were like, "You know, we do it. We have this space over here that we were going to rent to a guy." who was a motorcycle repair guy. But if you're a band, if you're artists, like we're a theater company, we are, we are premised on helping people make art. And so they gave me this cinder block garage that, you know, was moldy and covered with oil. And I, and my band having just helped Peter fix up his, we spent three or four months fixing up this garage and we actually took the garage door out and built a cinder block wall is this the one uh, by the richard hugo house yeah that oh so, wow that's so cool so the theater company then sold itself to the richard hugo house and i i continued a relationship with them i was sort of grandfathered in and they were like we'd we'd much rather use that space to make literary arts but I suppose since you've been here and you did all this work, you can continue to be a rock band there. Oh my god, this is like this is a different century. Yeah, and it is still a rock band space to this day. It was handed down from us to um, a series of bands. At one point, was there somebody with the Thermals, Rara Riots? There was somebody kind of pseudo famous there for a while, right? Yeah, there were there were there were um, there were famouses there. I think various bands that that went in and out of that space that um, were all connected by sort of a, a family relationship to to me twenty years before. <laughs> um, and I don't know <laughs> your bastard rock children. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who's in there now, but the Richard Hugo House just announced that they sold the entire quarter of a block and all of the outbuildings and the funeral home and everything um, to some developers who are going to put in a, a tower condo tower oh really it's all going to get it's all going to go away all of the all of the history all the blood and sweat and songs and marijuana reefers reefers 
and Peter's uh, Peter's Peter's throat you know, Peter's lost youth and my lost youth and the the first performance ever of unsalted butter and it's all just going to get backhoed into the basement of a of some kind of condo. Fucking tears and rain. Yeah, that's right. That's oh, right. John. Well, you know, I guess good for Richard Hugo House. I mean, they that they, their margins are probably pretty thin. They probably don't they probably don't get a lot of people pounding in there like like show me the trout. Well, you you know the story of the Richard Hugo house was that they I was don't fun- I don't know, but I you know he's my second favorite American poet. I do know that, and and um, <laughs> it, like like all like all healthy boys, I have a list. <laughs> well, and like you know, like all good American friends, you and I both have shared with one another our our top four or five American poets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, the Richard, the Richard Hugo, it's not house. weird. It's not weird. It's something every boy does. Absolutely not. You weird. You show each other, and then uh, you know it's not. Yeah. You were like, different. You're, you're like, hey, I'm visiting Seattle. Can we go by the literary arts center that celebrates the work of my second favorite American poet? And I was like, hey, I happen to have some friends there. I'm I can made get a stone. In. Let's go. Hey, I'm curious. But the Richard Hugo House uh, was funded by some rich people. Some one of the you know the first generation of Microsoft and Amazon multimillionaires in this town, back when they were millionaires already, but the town was still pretty shabby and real estate was cheap right 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 uh you said you talked about this i mean not we can't assume everybody's heard every episode of this show i mean you know it sounds like in a in a similar way to san francisco obviously in its own way but uh, seattle has even in your lifetime seen some massive changes is it Uh, fair to say yeah 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 well and and not even in my lifetime i mean what makes it a tragedy is that the changes started after I was already aware of real estate, right? I mean, I remember standing on the a tragedy corner. is you didn't get in on it. <laughs> yeah, in a way, I remember standing on your a mom corner did. Being like, your mom did pretty well with that. Well, no, not really. Not considering mm. what we could have done, mm. right? I mean, you, you could. There were there was a time in 1995 or six when you could still buy, uh, like a lot, right? An undeveloped lot. Within ten minutes of walking distance from downtown, you could buy a, 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 a like a, a quarter acre abandoned lot for twenty thousand dollars. I don't want to do this. You know, and 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 they were kind of all over the place. And the reason was that from nineteen, that's like four or five months rent for people who are new to San Francisco. Yeah, 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 right. And 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 nobody saw it coming, even though I did see it, but. It was very hard to convince people because from 1970 to 1995, that lot was never, that lot didn't change in value. And right? it, probably, it, was, it probably was costly to maintain, keep the insurance on, clean up the needles. Yeah, like you it, gotta, was, uh, it was probably more, more cost than uh, benefits. You got you to pay the taxes, yeah, exactly. if nothing else. And so it's like, oh, well, that lot was $20,000 and the one across the street was $12,000. And that lot up there, you know, that whole like corner lot. Uh, was $24,000. And for $150,000, you could have bought what would, uh, what would ultimately be $20 million in real estate now. Because they are, the developers now are going through that neighborhood and tearing down three story brick apartment buildings in order to build, you know, they're tearing down a $5 million building in order to build a $15 million building. Old growth, uh, beams. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They just go it's right in the dumpster. But and I did see it coming because I could. I looked around and I was like, "Well, wait a minute. Um, you you can buy a house in 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 the center of Seattle 
for fifty thousand dollars, mm-hmm. and yet the world's richest man lives here. <laughs> and not only that, but this is the only this this will one day soon be the last livable place. I've been to Los Angeles. I know what it, I know what's going on down there. You know, like this was all evident 15 years ago. But I didn't have any resources and I didn't have any I didn't have the moxie. You know, and 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 you have uh it's the wisdom of retrospect. I can look back now and say like I knew it then and I should have devoted all my energy to it. But in fact, I was trying to I was trying to write songs and be in a band. I didn't want to be a real estate developer if you right. had, you know, even, but like sometimes, sometimes you, even if it's something in plain sight, there's nothing that ever gets you to do something about it. It's hard to explain why. I've, I, as I'm fond of saying, it's difficult for me to try to explain to people why I didn't do something. Yeah, 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 right. That's yeah. what uh, Richard Hugo calls the triggering town. <laughs> you, can't, you can't, uh, you can't prove a negative. But anyway, the Richard Hugo house. These people were uh, were the, the were newly minted millionaires, and they went into Capitol Hill's ritzy neighborhood and there is a particular house right across the street from the cornish college of the arts that is a massive and beautiful gracious home but it's right on a busy street and it's one of those beautiful homes that when it was built and every once in a while a guy would would putter by in a a one-cylinder car and go beep beep. Uh, you know, it was like, oh, that's charming, right? We we have put our our big home on the main street because it's like where Marty McFly's family lived in 1955, <laughs> Lion Estates or whatever. <laughs> meet me, <coughs> beep beep. <clears throat> you know, because it made because the guy who was bringing the milk on the horse drawn cart, uh, that kind of like busyness of the street did not it didn't impact your enjoyment of your home right right the streetcar went by somebody rode by on a on a giant bicycle a penny farthing or whatever but there was no <laughs> like being on a busy street was not a was not disadvantageous and now there's this big beautiful gracious home but all day long it's just rum 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 buses and cars and and um it's just not it doesn't have it doesn't have enough seclusion right so mm-hmm. there there's a beautiful home but 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 it's it's such a big pile of of luxurious finishes that even though it's on a busy street you couldn't afford to live there unless you were a, a, a rich person and if you were a rich person why would you want to live there so the richard hugo house people initially went to that neighborhood and they were like we're going to buy this house and it made perfect sense it was like it was this fantastic place it had a big entry hall uh a staircase that you could take a team of horses up and it just screamed literary arts center and then it, in an early example of sort of seattle nimby the other the old rich people who lived in the in the gracious homes right around there were all like, "Well, we don't want. What? A, where are all these literary arts people going to park? Are you kidding? We don't want a some kind of literary. I can't arts. imagine a better neighbor. That's going to invite people that wear feathers for jewelry. <laughs> 
that a literary arts, you're going to hear those pencil scratching. <laughs> and the neighborhood <laughs> ganged up together and kept the Hugo House from being able to buy it. They, 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 it wasn't just a grassroots campaign. They actually went to the city and said, this neighborhood is not zoned for this kind of, of questionable commercial artistic use and so so they chased richard hugo out and and the hugo house bought that funeral home kind of like it was pretty far down on their uh, it was like their fourth choice or whatever by the time by the time they were able to get that place they were like listen we just need to buy a place and i think if i recall correctly they they bought that entire lot and funeral home and everything for a million bucks and i'm sure i'm absolutely sure that it's a it's a 10 million dollar piece of real estate now or or more oh you know my goodness 15 million dollars so they didn't do too badly um but i still drive past that big beautiful home across from the cornish college of the arts and think if this i mean one day this will be a literary arts center if I have my way. When I am an old man, I will come here and I will turn this into a literary arts center just to spite the ghosts of those people. Because it's, I mean, when that house was built, someone had the, someone presciently probably wrote literary arts center in chalk on a beam. It was meant for that. So mad. It's funny also because, um, you know, you wouldn't want to pin the guy down, but uh, so much of what he wrote about that's so memorable, um, he had a real eye for just all kinds of stuff in, in, huh. in yeah, the Pacific did. Northwest. That's but one of the things that makes him a good poet, eye for a lot of different kinds of stuff. Well, I mean, you know, he's famous. He, he first became famous for, like, his fish poems or whatever. But, like, uh, the stuff of his that I enjoy and remember the most <laughs> are stuff about, like, tumble-down western towns. Just kind of, and you know... <laughs> Kind of analogies for uh, life falling apart that you go and visit. It's kind of funny though that like that that to me is what he also wrote a wonderful book on writing that I can highly recommend called The Triggering Town. I but, lo- your love of Richard Hugo is one of my favorite loves. I, there's so many things in my life I don't talk about, John, because it bores other people. It bores no, people when I talk about what poets I like. It makes me so excited. You know, he's really the rich man's, by which I mean poor man's. <laughs> Uh, uh, Carver. You know what I mean? Like he's bad. He's oh the yeah, po- the poet. The poet, but but without so much. A rich man's Raymond Carver. He's the rich. He's the rich man's poor man's Raymond Carver. Huh. That's my but favorite not- big. Bla- that's my favorite big black album. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is sponsored by a game called Threes. Threes is a tiny puzzle that grows on you. You can play it forever, and it'll always be in your pocket. John and I are big fans of Threes. You can learn more about Threes by searching your app store or by visiting threesgame.com. Okay, that's the part they wanted us to say, but here's the real truth. Threes has ruined our lives. John and I are mere husks of men at this time. We play it constantly. Our our lives are upside down. Our, Our children are starving. John and I wanted to get to the bottom of this diabolical game, so we did a very long interview with Asher Vollmer, who's the twisted genius behind this menace. Here's an excerpt from the interview. It would be fun to throw in something like a a tip. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think, John? 
Yeah, well, a tip or even an argument. I feel like I feel You've like never had we, a two-minute argument in your entire fucking life. I feel like if we started talking about threes, uh, we would we would develop a narrative pretty quickly uh, around uh, the idea that it is diabolical. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like this and thing. and uh, that it is uh, that you know that it 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 will affect your self-esteem if you are not a strong person. <laughs> You know, we'll just cover the truth about threes, basically. So, if I understand what you're saying, you're, we're definitely saying that we're going to help you by letting you know we're going to tear the veil away from this this monstrosity. But yeah. it's also, if, I, if I'm getting you right, it's a little bit like Lex Luthor in the Superman movie, where he's saying some people can read a candy wrapper and like understand the secrets of the universe. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. I, I feel like we need to unmask certain aspects of threes, uh, so that it isn't. You know, I wouldn't give threes say to. A vulnerable person. <laughs> you hear the rest of the interview and find out Asher's plans for harnessing your gameplay for free electric power, please visit show notes for this episode at RoderickOnTheLine.com. You can download the full interview for free there. Listen to it. It's a lot of fun. And like we said, you can learn how to grab your own copy of Threes by visiting ThreesGame.com or by visiting the App Store on your mobile device. And real talk, guys, thanks a million to Asher for making our all-time favorite video game, for taking the time to talk to us, and for supporting Roderick on the Line. (laughs) Uh, I was listening to Buffalo Tom on the way in today. Oh, bird brains. (laughs) I I follow that guy on the Twitter. Yeah, he's good. Bird brain. They used to sound a lot like Dinosaur. Well, yeah, and the replacements. Like, all those bands yep. from the late 80s in America all sounded like Dinosaur Jr. and the replacements. And 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 the recordings don't sound very good. And there's there's a lot of kind of, I guess, jangle strumming, but through overdriven amps. Yeah, it's also weird how, I mean, even, I think this kind of happened even with Dump Truck. But, like, there were the, oh, there's that cluster of bands from around that time where, like, they were these crusty post Minneapolis not exactly hardcore bands but like I don't even want to say pop punk but you know what I mean bands like the Lemonheads bands like Soul Asylum um that, that were very, I think, very much had their roots. I, not to disparage, but very much the, had their the, roots. The Buck Pets. Did you ever hear the Buck Pets? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, it's funny. You go back and listen to Lemonheads back when the other guy wrote songs too. They sound a lot like Husker Du. At yes, yes. And uh, and obviously Soul Asylum, the stuff before like Hang Time, sounds so much like The Replacements. It's kind of funny. Clam <laughs> uh, Dip and Other Delights. Yeah. Oh God, that's such a great record. And who's the uh, who's the uh, who's the guys with the frosted hair? Um, you know the guys that became really popular, the Winona Ryder. Trick? No, oh, no, no! <laughs> come on, <laughs> you know no, the I band. Know. Uh, yeah, the uh, the Google Run Dolls. Away Google... Train never coming back. Now that's Soul Side. Run away. Now I'm thinking of Google Dolls. Google oh, Dolls, Dolls used to sound even more like uh, they sound a lot like. But isn't it funny? Like all of those bands that you can go back and listen to, like their late '80s output. Mm-hmm. And I'll stand by Hang Time. It's glossy, but it's a good album. It's like Replacements meets Cheap Trick. It's great. But then yeah, there, uh, there were a couple of those. I but I couldn't. I never got into the Goo Goo Dolls. I could never get. But they were I, like. If it's what's funny in retrospect, though, is if you do go back and listen to those records, you so clearly hear them going, "Oh my god, I yeah. really want to." I you know, like kind of like me and REM at one time were like, "Oh my gosh, I would love to recreate this certain sound." Well, and then it's funny because then they all like to a band got famous for some jangly power ballad yeah. or six. So, yeah, you got the runaway train. With, I really uh, have to take these wool pants off. Excuse me. Oh, here. no, please go ahead. 
I'll, keep, ta- I'll keep talking while you're taking them off. So hot. Whew. So you got the, then the, the lemon heads. They started to kind of turn it down. Mm-hmm. You know, starting with the um, "It's a Shame about Ray" stuff. Yep, yep, that's right. Then they got all. I think he actually dated Winona Ryder, like everybody. Mm-hmm. And who else you got there? You got. Uh, I never oh, did. I never dated Buffalo Winona. Tom. They had the headlights song. That was kind of a power ballad. <laughs> I, do you remember? I remember uh, early '90s, all the way after grunge had already uh, crested. Paul Westerberg still was voted. America's number one songwriter in some Rolling Stone poll. And and I remember you That's know, like I, the Academy Awards though, John. That's that's yeah, like him that's getting exactly credit for something he did. Like. Earlier. It felt like Tim Conway getting an Emmy Award for his appearance <laughs> on 30 Rock. If it's a temporary low when my boy right out of my school. Really? Like, really? That's better than unsatisfied? <laughs> I'm telling you. And the thing is that REM, I, I, I don't know I don't know whether it is just that uh, uh, at the, uh, a certain age you drink the Kool-Aid and then that's the Kool-Aid that you drank. You drink the Kool-Aid that was given in your time, I think. That's right. But, uh, but So like if Monster you know, was the first REM album you heard, we're going to have some very awkward conversations. Yeah, I guess that's true. But like the first three REM records... Oh. Oh dear. I you know they are absolutely bulletproof and and there's not a single even the wrong notes are right. And yet I you know I'll put on I'll put on the replacements and I know I know I've heard it all a thousand times and I've and I saw them back in the day and I have sat on I have sat on a dirty couch with uh, two other guys in horn rim glasses and uh and and baseball hats from feed and seed companies and we have argued about this uh for 25 years i've been arguing about this but i put on those replacements records and i just go eh, eh really eh, well eh. i i got a thought on that i have a theory on why that would be because i sometimes think i'll tell you what i think this is the most i hope this is the most heretical thing i say today <laughs> is that um i i think i think that let it be is a way better finished product than Tim. I think mm. the production on Tim is incredibly dated. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Jim Dickinson stuff on um, Please to Meet Me. I mean, my God, that <coughs> I'm not going to bring up the gated problem, but there's a lot of gated reverb on there that makes it sound like they're playing in half a toilet with the lid falling down. <laughs> <laughs> down, down but down. but but I mean, there is no, there is no worse record in terms of production than. I against I by the Bad Brains. Really? And yet, what? I love SST that records. Record. That, well, I guess that is an SST record, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, that's that spot guy ruined a lot of really good albums. He really did, and 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 <laughs> I mean, I think that is a fantastic album. I can hear it, I can listen to it, and love it through the production. Yeah, I do not care. Is it a pretty I mean, reverby? I, Am I remembering right? It's pretty reverby. Oh my god! Who knows? It sounds like they put it sounds like they put a microphone down a manhole cover, and the band was playing in a truck that was driving by. They're not sure like, which truck. There's no. They, they were they were they were playing in a uh, like a like a. a, a, a I'm pretty sure that's bad brains. <laughs> like not. It just sounds terrible. And 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 when you yeah. listen to it, you can't help but say like, oh god, if you could just have also been recording this record when this record was recorded? Like, if there was another guy there who was actually recording This is back this? to your theory about being a producer is more than standing behind the faders. It's having an editorial voice to make sure that you've got the skills to make it sound good, and then you make sure it sounds good. Yeah, right. I mean, you just... I mean, I'm sure that recording that band was really difficult. And uh, just personality-wise, like, HR came in and 
you know, and just started calling you a Nazi or whatever it was, or a Jew or whatever it was his, his, his trip was that hour. But, but, you know, my God, that, that, those performances, that moment in time, right? You can't go back and re-record that record because nobody could do it. Nobody could play that record now. It, it was, they had, right. um, they, they had, uh, they were touched by angels, right? But you're, you're and, saying, you're saying that as an oeuvre, the replacements hasn't moved you as much as it's moved a lot of people. Uh, songwriting. I mean, the, 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 the sounds of those records, notwithstanding the song, you don't, you don't like the songwriting. I do, it's not that I don't like it. I just go like, yeah, this is for uh, other people. This is for guys in feed and seed hats, or this is for the Goo Goo Dolls. Uh, this this is the, you know, like I felt that way about Dylan the first time I heard him, but then I grew to understand and love Dylan, and Dylan moves me now. But I've gone back to the replacements well a hundred times. And I always just come out of it feeling like, yeah, those were the guys that lived in the house across the street from the house that I lived in, and we were friendly but not friends. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't, I can't argue with that. I mean, you know, at the time that something becomes a sensation, whether it's any of these bands or any of my other favorite bands that I learned about because they became sensations, you know, mm. and a lot of it has to do with the time and the time and yeah. the timing, and and some of that stuff does age better than others. <laughs> some of it was never really that great to begin with. Um, well, and, and Buffalo Tom is an example of a band that I saw in 1990 or 91, and the show just blew me away. And so I'll, I, I can't hear a bad word about them. You know what I mean? Like I love, I'll, I'll always love them because I remember the feeling of being at their show and feeling like this is doable. Like this is doable. These guys are doing this, and it's and I could do this. This is doable, and this is amazing. And this show, there are a lot of people at this show and they're all it was that first time because i'd always gone to punk shows right right those were the only shows that you went to like hard hardcore shows where a lot of it was about the mechanics and volume yeah right i mean i couldn't afford to go see the tour uh, the cure or starship something. right i wasn't going to go to those shows i was going to the show the five dollar show at the rec center or the three dollar show at the rec center and those bands were all hardcore bands and 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 so I would be at the show and I would look around and everybody was rocking their um their punk thing and I loved I loved to slam dance it was one of my favorite things to do but I was I did not walk out of that show and feel like you know what I'm going to shave my head and I'm going to um start you know uh I'm going to go vegan and I'm going to start like living and working at a soup kitchen. Like I did not, I was not transformed into the right, life. Right, right. No, no. But at that Buffalo Tom show, I looked around and I was like, whoa, like everybody here is my age and they're all wearing Carhartt jackets and there are, there are girls here. And most of these guys are wearing glasses. Like these are my people. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was really, it was really kind of, uh, it was, a, it was freaky. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. And now you're making me think, cause that was the, some of the early shows I went to. Um, and it was just, they were electric. I mean, just so, uh, such a adrenaline shot to go to a show like that. But what's funny is like, sometimes I would end up seeing bands. I'm thinking especially of bands that were opening for somebody else that I had heard the name of. I might be a little bit familiar with. But bands were like th – that's some of the bands that really ended up sticking with me, like Yola Tango and the <laughs> Feelies. And these bands where you would go and like if you had just heard their record first, you might you might not get it. 
But when Virgil we, Overkill, big example of that. Oh man, they were boy, they were good. They were real glossy, but they were they were amazing. They were fun and funny. <clears throat> but like, yeah, but I mean, Yellow Tango to me, like, I think their songwriting is fantastic. I think the evolution of them over time is great. I think they seem like interesting people. Or you know, again with the Feelies, the Feelies are like as close as I will ever get to something like the Grateful Dead. Like where you go, and I'm just in- intently watching the way this song is unfolding because it's it is it, it is very rock and roll, you know, but yeah. just very very intense. But it's also kind of nerdy, like Yola Tango. It's, it's it's there's something basically nerdy about it, but it just happens to rock. So it caught me that night, and then that leads me down the rabbit hole of going and looking for all the records from those guys. That's that, yeah. and that's stuff that is really like you and Buffalo Tom. That's stuff that really stuck with me. And I don't, I don't think it's defensible. I don't think you can. I don't think you could stand on a, on a, uh, uh, on a, on a overturned crate outside of Hyde Park and say I like Buffalo Tom and don't like the replacements. Like I don't think that that is artistically defensible. That would not be a good use of your time. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get a ticket to London and I'm going to go over there. And I'm going to make that case, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. A moment of your time, please. <laughs> gather around. Gather around. <clears throat> I enjoy <laughs> Buffalo Tom, but the, but I don't <laughs> care for the replacements. Oh, what? What, sir? Rhubarb, rhubarb, on you. <laughs> but but there it is. You know, what, somebody what throws you... a coffee cup of pee at you. <laughs> <laughs> Kids don't follow what you're saying. <laughs> I'll take your pee. <laughs> you there? Um. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, people don't listen to music the same way anymore, though, John. It's just not the same anymore. Yeah, I guess I is, don't. We came from the ashes. <laughs> I guess I don't care. I don't care. I was listening. I was listening to the radio, and they were playing some old uh, music. By which I mean music from my youth, like you know, punk and grunge. And uh, I was struck again by how bad most of it was, and I realized that uh, there's you couldn't. You could not sit a young person down and explain what it meant. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't sit them down and say, like, it used to be hard to hear music. It used to be hard to even find it. Uh, yeah, yeah. First, you had to <clears throat> get the Rosetta Stone that told you which bands to even know the name of. Then you had to find out, like, what their music was like. You had to read extensive reviews. There was, like, five steps before you ever even went and spent your fucking money on it for yeah. this thing and not that thing. But to to uh, to be twenty to be twenty two years old, uh, in, in in my case, and go to a rock show where it was your first exposure to the audience, to an audience that looked like you, mm-hmm. like kind of first time ever, right? Because you know, the more I think about it, like I'd been to heavy metal stadium concerts, and I'd been to a thousand. Uh, punk rock shows in youth centers, but I had never been to a show in a club where the where the other people where the audience had taken some college classes <laughs> because those bands didn't come to Anchorage, right? REM never played in Anchorage when I was growing up, and and that and to be twenty two years old and have it be the first time that you ever were standing in a room where you were like, I believe that this room of people is a mirror. I am seeing myself for the first time. Um, how would you explain that to someone who was 22 years old now? Right. Um, because presumably they have 
certainly be, they, they, they are aware that there are rooms full of people who resemble them, even if they've never been in one. Well, there's, there's certainly I, a, lo- a lot fewer things that are just strictly speaking a black box. <clears throat> there are a lot fewer things where you actually have no idea what this is going to be like. Right. Or it's, or, it's, or it's just not possible to find out what it's going to be like until you do it. Until you do it, right. You could yeah. not, you, I could not have had an advance. I guess somebody, I guess somebody could have said like, you should go to this sh- show because you seem like you would be a fan of them. Right. That would be the closest, that would be the closest uh, approximation of like, here's where you belong. And it turned out I didn't belong there either, right? I walked around and I was like, hi, hi, nice to meet you, hi. And everybody was like, you know, we don't really just walk up and say hi to each other. That's kind of not, 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 not the way this works. <laughs> that's not how we do it. And I was like, oh, right, right, right. Okay, okay, okay. Don't belong here. <laughs> I was thinking about that the other day. I was walking down the street and I, I was taught, I don't know about you, but I was taught that when you're walking down the street, you make eye contact with people and, and nod and smile. Like right. you make eye contact with people that you pass on the street. Have we talked about this? No. And uh, you're, gonna, you're worrying me a little, though. <laughs> and now, uh, it's getting, remember we talked about John. It's getting to be an hour. Okay, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Kids uh, don't follow. Woo! <laughs> 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 Bespoke. Oh, got it out of there. Woo! Oh, Saved it. <laughs>